Well, it's Easter. You guys made it here. I don't know what your week was like, but if it was like mine, there was a little bit of kind of running around crazy, right? Trying to get everything together and ready. Maybe you were planning for family to be here or a big family lunch today. So this morning, I want you just to take a deep breath and let it out and relax. You made it here. Easter's here. Yeah. And we're here. Did you at get your Burundian coffee morning. out there? Extra caffeine in that. So. <laughs> You know, at Community of Faith, one of the things that we love about this place is that you can come and it's not judgmental, it's accepting, it's encouraging, but there is something about Community of Faith. We have a ruthless dedication to the truth, and the reason why is because Jesus Christ himself said, only the truth will set you free. Now, sometimes the truth is painful. I heard about a woman who went on a business trip and Uh, she called back to her husband she'd been gone a few days and she said how is everything how's the cat and he said dead she said oh honey you can't just say it like that I'm not ready for that you know you need to kind of break it to me easy like I call today just say the cat's feeling sluggish and then you know if I call tomorrow say I took the cat to the vet and, and, and it doesn't look good and then you could say maybe on the third or fourth day that the cat passed away you know but don't just say cat is dead and he goes, honey, I'll, I'll try to do better. And she said, okay, that's good. Well, how's mom? Feeling sluggish, he said. <laughs> Truth can be hard to take, right? A lot of us would like to think on this Easter that we're pretty much okay and that if we just try a little harder, we're going to eventually break out of, you know, these things that, that plague us. Uh, but the truth is, the Bible says, Jesus says, God tells us in his word that we are all, all of us, irreparably broken. That might not have been what you were expecting to hear on Easter, but that is the truth of what God says. And this is what's going to set us free. In fact, let me just read you some verses that could have come maybe from any of our own journals. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, but it seems like I can't help it. Who will set me free? Now, that might seem like it could have come from your journal this week, but it was the Apostle Paul writing in the book of Romans. So the Bible understands our human condition. You know, we're saying, I know I need to be unselfish in my marriage, but ah, just so selfish. Why did I do that again? I, I know I don't want to say those cutting things to my kids that, I heard my parents say to me that so devastated me, but I keep hearing those things come out of my mouth. What's going on with that? You know, I I think at Easter, it's time probably for us to realize that we can't keep saying, well, I could quit anytime I want to. I could just quit that anytime I want to. After all, I quit 17 times last week, right? We kind of have to have this ruthless dedication to the truth because that's how we're set free. In Alcoholics Anonymous, you stand up and say, hi, I'm Mark, and I'm an alcoholic. And that's the first step to starting to be free, is to really admit, to say that, to to own that. You know, if I was in a 12-step meeting, I just have to say, as I sit before you today, hi, I'm Mark, and I eat more than my body requires. And you know, that is... That is when, I I mean, that's why I work out my arms so much so you won't look at my stomach, right? (laughs) But there is this sense in which that for me, I've kind of told myself a lie all these years that 
Diets can be painless because they say that on TV, you know, that it, it, it's easy. But the truth is, is something different. I, I was watching an interview with Patricia Heaton from Everybody Loves Raymond fame. And they said, how did you lose so much weight? She had lost a tremendous amount of weight. She said, I went to bed hungry every night. And I just said, oh my gosh, that's horrible. You know, I mean, I'd rather go on those painless diets where you eat 17 slabs of bacon and, and, and no carbs, you know. I gained 15 pounds on Atkins, but the, uh, the, the thing is, it's true. If you're going to lose weight, it's, you're going to go to bed hungry, right? One of the things the Bible says, if you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, you'll find healing. So I'm confessing to about 15,000 people at Easter that this is my issue. So you better pray for me because next Easter, I want to be looking different, Okay. So I'm counting on your prayers. If you see me eating a cinnamon roll, you're not praying hard enough, all right? <laughs> so we're, we're going we're gonna to do this together. But what the Bible says is that we've got to be honest with ourselves. You know, you can say, I'm not an alcoholic. I just kind of, you know, I maybe over drink a little, slur my words a little at night. No, the truth is what sets you free. So I want us to look at what is true this morning in just the next few minutes I want us to look at three little Greek words you didn't know you're gonna have a Greek word study on Easter if someone asks you what was Easter like at community of faith say we studied Greek it was amazing all right three words that I want you to look at for maybe that that could really impact you the first one is to tell us to tell us a lot of us have never heard that word before um, but let me kind of give you the background of it Jesus is on the cross and he is almost uh, ready to breathe his last. He's, he realizes that it's, it's moments and not um, even minutes or hours for sure before he dies. He feels it coming on. And so it says this, Jesus knew that everything was now finished. And to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, and Matthew tells us he called out in a loud voice, it is finished. Now, three words in English, but only one word in Greek. He said, tetelestai, one word. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, tombs opened. So here's the deal. We see Jesus on the cross. And as he's just about to die, he realizes his death is imminent. And so he wants to get this word out because it's important to say. So he, he croaks out because you can just imagine how, how thirsty he must be, all that blood loss. He says, I'm thirsty. They hold up the sponge on a branch. It's got sour wine on it. He, he wets his parched throat and then he calls out. With all the strength he has left. Tetelestai. And we interpret that it is finished. And that is a good interpretation. But it's not enough. It's hard to get the whole connotation of it. What it really means. It's a, it's a marketplace word. That you would put when you had finished paying off a debt. You'd finally you know, paid off your donkey. Or whatever it was that you were paying on. You know installments. And they would stamp it or mark it or write across it. Tetelestai, paid in full. And it makes all the difference. 
to Telestai, the most powerful word ever spoken. Because Jesus was saying something important there. He's saying, I've done it. I've finished it. I've completed what needs to be done. The truth is that Jesus had to die for us to have resurrection power to break through the issues that we face. Because we're irreparably broken and God knew that. It's not about trying harder. It's about leaning into what he's done for us on the cross. Lately on television, there have been a lot of comparisons I've heard in the media about radical Islam and radical Christianity, saying they're both detrimental to society. But I've got to tell you, radical Islam and radical Christianity are poles apart. Radical Islam is Allah saying, I want you to send your son to die for me. Radical Christianity is God himself sending his one and only son to die for us. And that's what we celebrate this Easter. We celebrate that at great cost, it cost him everything, Jesus laid down his life for us. And that's why we celebrate his beautiful name. Jesus Christ. 
That's Easter, right? You can be seated. It's that Jesus that we celebrate today, and it's that Jesus who spoke that word to Telestai from the cross. And he meant what he said. That word to Telestai changes everything. In the Greek, it means done, but not just done in the sense that we think of the word done, but it means that it was finished, it was completed, and it stands for all time. It's in the perfect tense that Jesus spoke those words, which means a past completed action that affects our present day. And that's what he was saying. If the goal had been achieved, it was finished, it's finished now, and it stands for all eternity. That's the word that Jesus was speaking that day. To Telestai is an artist word, and that day it was used in that way. You can imagine a, a painter or a sculptor, and they're working on their masterpiece, and they've been working on it for months and months, years maybe. And they put the fin finishing touches onto that painting or that sculpture. And they stand back, and they take a look at it. They take it all in, everything that they had imagined and dreamed and planned, and they've put it all out there on the canvas. And they look at it, and they see that, indeed, there's nothing else to be added, that the masterpiece is complete. It's perfect. Nothing else to be done. And then the artist proclaims, to Telestai, it's finished. That's the picture. God is the master artist. And when Jesus died on the cross, he looked at that and he saw that everything was complete. There was nothing else to be added, nothing else to be done. The dream that he had, the perfection that he put together in that act on the cross, the final act of Jesus. And God said to Telestai, it is finished. It is finished now and it's finished for all eternity. It stands for all time. A Roman citizen back in this day, when they were arrested for a crime, they would go before the judge and the judge would look at that crime and, and the indictment and then if they were convicted, they would be sentenced and put into the jail. And they would have a list of the indictment, all the crimes that had been committed and the sentence that had been handed down by the judge and they would put that on the outside of the cell so that anybody walking by would see this is what he did and why he's here in this prison cell and the debt that he has to pay for those crimes. When that debt had been paid, when the time had been served, the criminal would be brought out of his cell and he would go before the judge again. And the judge would take that indictment and read it over and assure that he had paid the debt for his crime and the judge would sign that and then he would stamp it with the word to Telestai. It's finished, paid in full. He's paid his debt. And then he would give a copy to the criminal so whenever he's out in the community walking around and somebody looks and thinks, what, he, what is he doing here? He's supposed to be in jail. He could hand it to them and say, my debt's been paid in full. I'm free. That's the word to Telestai. I know you may be thinking this morning, well, that's a great history lesson. But I think if we could ever actually capture the truth that this word that was spoken 2,000 plus years ago is just as powerful today for our lives in 2017. It changes everything. When you think about what happened when Jesus said that word, if you could see into the spiritual realm, it's like all of heaven what was leaning forward as Jesus is about to die, as all of the angels on the stairways of heaven lean forward, they see him take the sour wine on the sponge, and they wait. And then at the top of his lungs, with all the strength he has left, to Telestai, and all of heaven goes berserk, breaks into joyful shouting because it's done. The price has been paid. 
what it was going to take for us to come into relationship with God to break through with the resurrection power and the addictions of our life and all of that has been paid for, has been done, has been wrought for us so that we can be with God and it satisfied his eternal justice. I don't understand all about it, but I know that's what the Bible teaches us to be true. And I think all of those million angel voices broke out in the song that we see in Revelation 5, 9. It says, and they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy for you were killed and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become God's kingdom and his priests and they will reign. Do you feel like you're reigning this morning? To tell us die, finished, paid in full. The price has been paid. What does that mean for you and me? At the turn of the century, there was an old English revivalist. His name was Ebenezer Wooten. He would go around and have the big tent revivals. And after one of the revivals in England, he was folding up the tent and a young man came up and he, and he said, Reverend Wooten, he said, I need to know what I need to do to have relationship with God. And Wooten said, too late. And he said, well, I see you're folding up the tent and the revival's over, but I wondered what I need to do to have relationship with God. And he said, too late. And he said, I don't understand. He said, son, you're asking me what you need to do. And I'm telling you, you're 2,000 years too late. There's nothing you can do. It's already been done for you. There's this American religion that is deadly, that seems so right to our mind. It's like it's the, the wisest man who ever lived said in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to people, but the end of that way is death. And that, that way is try harder, try harder, try harder. You've been doing that. There's another way. There's something else that we need to do. There's something else that we need to understand. There's only one Savior. It can be you trying to save yourself. It's not going to work. Or you can lean in to our one and only Jesus. I want you to hear our drummer, Trey. He's also our, our music leader of the band. I want you to hear his story as he shares it with you this morning. I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in church with a very strong Christian family. During my late high school years, I started experimenting with alcohol and smoking weed, and that eventually led to other things. I started taking pills and just struggled with some of that my late teen years. Um, and then as I got to college, it just progressed and got worse, uh, led to other drugs. I started experimenting with cocaine and ecstasy and shrooms and just about every drug you can imagine. Um, and it got to the point where I had just completely lost everything, lost all hope. I was hanging around with other people who were using cocaine all day, every day. And the amount of cocaine that I was doing was even scary for, for those people. 
I remember at one point I was in a parking lot crying, begging my drug dealer to please sell me more cocaine and he refused it because um, he thought I had a problem. But it was to the point where I, I hated it and I didn't understand how you could hate something so much and not stop doing it. So I actually prayed a prayer, God, please do whatever it takes for me to stop this, other than my parents finding out. Kind of got to the point where I was, I gave up on myself. I just thought, well, this is just who I am. I'm just a drug addict, I'm just an alcoholic. This is just the way God made me. You know, I thought, God, why did you make me this way? Why did you <clears throat> give me these tendencies and this addictive personality? Um, but I'd kind of gotten to the point where I had just given up on myself. I thought I was a lost cause. Um, I, it was just a very hopeless feeling. And it was all, you know, I put on the, the happy face and, and around everyone, but it was, just this, it was just this double life that I was living. The drinking got to the point where I was, you know, getting blackout drunk every single night. And it was, a lot of it was done in public, but there was a lot of it done in, in secret too. And I got a DWI, I, uh, you know, I wrecked my car, and it's just one thing after another. Um, God was just trying to get my attention, and I just refused to listen. I woke up one day and I made a choice. I knew that if I were to continue down this road that I was gonna kill myself or someone else. So I told a really good friend of mine um, that I needed help and <clears throat> she kept me accountable to that. I knew it was gonna be hard to stop, but I knew that God just wanted me to make that first step and that if I made the first step, that he was gonna reach down and, and grab me out of that deep pit that I dug myself into. Um, and so I knew that all I had to do was make the choice and step into what he has, and I knew that he would help me out. One of the things I love so much about COF is just their love for people. You can really come as you are, and this is a home for, for everyone. Everyone is welcome. Um, like Mark always says, we're just one big dysfunctional family. Uh, throughout some of my struggles here, my friends at, at Community of Faith have just loved me and walked with me uh, through some of those hard times and struggles, and they didn't judge me, but they just were there for me. They stood with me, they prayed with me, they prayed for me, and just loved me through it. There's a Bible verse that I really love. It's Psalm 40, verse 2, and I think that that those few lines tell my story perfectly. It says that he lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and gave me a firm foundation to stand. And he put a new song in my heart.
lifted me up You lifted me out Out of the deep dark pit Now it is you say that after truly surrendering 100% to God, because in the past it's always been, you can have this and this and this and this, but I'm going to hold on to this one thing. After I finally gave it all up to Him completely, um, I'm three years sober today, which is amazing because I remember for years and years and years it'd be a really big deal for me to go one or two days without a drink or a drug. Um, so I'm an overcomer and I've been redeemed and God has completely shifted my life and I'll never look back and I'll never be the same. I love that, that Trey used the word redeemed there. You know, to telestai means done and it means forgiven, but it also means redeemed. And that's an extra special name of Jesus, I feel like. We use a lot of other names for him, maybe more often. We talk about him being our Lord when we recognize he's the boss of our life. We talk about him being our Savior when we recognize that he's forgiven us and saved us from our sins. But when we talk about Jesus being our Redeemer, we recognize that the price that he paid. And that he set us free. We're not just forgiven, but we've been set free. That word redeem, you know, Mark talked about tetelestai being a marketplace word. But redeemed was also a marketplace word. Back in Jesus' day, people were uh, routinely bought and sold and traded and owned and put to work. Slavery was very common. You know, people were born into slavery or maybe they were legally put into slavery to pay off a debt that they owed or they were uh, put into slavery as a result of a war, the spoils of war. So there were many people that lived that kind of life and, and they were passed from generation to generation um, and there were really only two ways that you could ever get out of slavery in that day. One of them was that you somehow had enough money that you could buy yourself back. You could buy yourself out of slavery. That wasn't very common, as you can imagine. The only other way that you could be released from slavery in that day is if you were for sale on the slave market up for auction and somebody came and they took pity on you and they bought you and they took you out of the market and then they set you free. That money that they paid for you was called the redemption. 
And that person that paid that price was the Redeemer. A Redeemer is one who pays the price so that somebody else can go free. And that's the picture of the cross. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. We see in the New Testament there are three Greek words that are used for that word redeem. And I want you to hear what they mean. That very first one is agorazo. And it comes from the Greek word agora, which means market. And it simply means that you would go to the market, see something that you want or like, and you would buy it. It's yours. That's redeemed. You redeemed whatever that product was. But when you add the little prefix ex onto that word, ex agorazo, that means that you bought it in the market, but then you took it out. You took it away from that place. That means redeemed as well. But there's a third word in the Greek that's used, and it's the word lutro. And that means to actually deliver somebody from captivity. All three of those Greek words are used to describe what Jesus did on the cross for us in the New Testament. I want you to see that. The first one is in Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. It says this, It is through the Son, at the cost of his own blood, that we are redeemed, lutroo, freed from captivity, freely forgiven through that full and generous grace which has overflowed into our lives and opened our eyes to the truth. You see that word again in Titus 2, 14. He gave himself for us. He did this by buying us, lutroo, with his blood, and making us free from all sin, he gave himself so his people could be clean and want to do good. Galatians 3.13, you see redeemed again. Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating cursed life by absorbing it completely into us. Redemption means that we're bought back. We're taken out of the market, off the auction block, and we're set free completely. God's done that for us. Redeemed means that you're given back so that you can fulfill the purpose that God had in mind for you. That's what Jesus did. I know some of you today, you're, you want to be here because you're thinking, I want to have a relationship with God. I want to do what's right. Maybe if I go to church or if I give or if I act a certain way. But when you're redeemed, you don't have to do those things. God says you can be free from all those things that bind you, that free from the past, free from the, the memories that haunt you, free from the anger and despair that you live in. You can be free from those habits that you can't seem to break free of. I think sometimes we know that we're forgiven, but we don't realize that when Jesus died on the cross, he actually set us free. We're free of all of those things. I want you to know today that there's no sin, no matter how bad or how deep or long-standing that Jesus speaking the words to Telestai on the cross didn't redeem you from. You've been set free today. Redemption is a gift of God. There are no strings attached. There's nothing that you have to do. Sometimes we think we have to be good enough or behave a certain way, but that's not the nature of redemption. I mean, it's only the prisoner that has to be set free, right? You don't have to be good enough. All you have to do is accept the pardon that he offers to you. And that's what it is. It's a pardon. It's not a parole that says it's conditional and you have to go out and behave a certain way or be imprisoned again. It's a pardon. And you have to accept it. It's free. All you have to do is accept it, but you do have to accept it. You say, well, I don't feel very free this morning. I hear what you're saying, that that's a free gift and, and that God's given it to me and it's already been done. I just don't feel very free. I get that. You know, 
There's something that is a first step. And that's what we're talking about this morning. That very first step. There are other things we do after. But the first step. It's the first step that you take to come into relationship with God. And also the Bible says in the same way that you take that first step into relationship with God. So walk in Him. So for some of us who've already done that. Maybe there's some things that we need to do and take this first step in a sense again in some particular area of our lives. Just like me with food. I really truly am asking you to pray for me because I really do want to break free from that. You know to have money or sex as your God is, is terrible but to have a Twinkie as your God is pathetic right? So my little granddaughter showed me a word picture. Zoe, she's a year and a half, and we have a swimming pool in our backyard, and we're teaching her how to swim because, you know, we want it to be safe for her, so we're doing, at one of the aquatic centers, you know, we're doing the little thing where the little babies can learn how to float on their back, you know, and and swim and go underwater, and she's gotten really good at a lot of it, like now she'll jump off the side of the pool, she'll say bubbles, and jump off the side of the pool, and go way deep down under, and I'll pull her up, and she'll just be laughing where she used to be crying, you know? But she's supposed to, the next step they said is you put your hand under the back of her neck and you help her to just turn over as she's like kind of paddling around and uh, you lift her chin up so that her head's tilted up and just let her float. Her little baby fat will just cause her just to float. It'll just be so relaxing. And, and you know, the teacher's looking at me and said, you could probably just float there along beside her, you know, and and. And we'll just be relaxing in the water. But when I try to do that with Zoe, she doesn't have that, man. She's not going to have that. You know, she, I start to turn her over and say, okay, Zoe, now it's time just to float, just relax, just float. And I try to turn her over and she's like, right? Every time, turning her over, tilt her head up. She's just, oh, she's all uptight. She's just like, I can't, you know, I look out here and I think some of you are doing the same thing with God right now. He's going, little boy, little son of mine, I've got my hand under you. Under the back of your head, lean back into me. Lean back into me. Let me tilt your head up. Look up, look up. Quit looking at yourself. Quit looking at the circumstances. Look up, little girl, I got you. Lean back, lean back. See, the very first step is to let go, to trust in what he said when he said to telestai. There's some other things that he's going to walk us through, and we'll walk through that in the next weeks and months as a family together. And we can do this together. But this is the step. When I'm hungry at night and I feel like if I don't eat, I'm going to die, I literally feel that. He's saying, lean back, little boy. I got you. Come on, you can go to bed hungry, I got you. And he's saying that in every area of our lives. I want you to close your eyes with me.